0: That time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 642 for June 13th, 2020, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week our guest is Bart Boo Shots with programming by stealth PBS98 of X. How are you doing today, Bart?
1: I am doing just fine. Um, I am wishing I had air conditioning, which is not something I wish very often, but it's quite warm in here.
0: That's just an oddity for you, isn't it?
1: What's <laughs> It is, actually, and because it's low pressure over Spain, we have a warm north wind.
0: Ooh, that is weird.
1: It's very, very perplexing.
0: I uh, sent Bart a, a picture of a bright blue sky with palm trees in it, and I told him, I look at this and I don't take it for granted because I talk to you so often. I, I used to, but now I know <laughs> that I shouldn't just go, yes, that's what the sky looks like for everybody.
1: Indeed. I have to say it's a beautiful photograph because the the, actually a really cool composition. Oh, thanks. Kind of artsy. No, I I remember my my last visit to LA being, I thought it was hilarious that the weather forecast would say things like, there's a 10% chance of weather today, by which (laughs) the lady on the news meant anything in the sky that isn't blue. (laughs)
0: Uh, A long time ago, I I put out a tweet I was rather proud of. It was a picture of a teeny tiny, itsy bitsy little tiny cloud in the sky and the the massive blue sky. And I wrote Stormwatch 2017. (laughs) 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 Got a kick out of that. Hey, uh, but this isn't the Weather Channel, but I'm still going to not let you get started with this next episode. Because I want to tell you something really exciting that happened this week with my code. Ooh. So uh, to bring everybody else back up to speed, a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago, I mentioned that I had a double secret project going for Programming by Stealth, and I finally got it to a point where I'm ready to show it off. It's called Time Shifter. It's kind of a head nod to Time Scroller by a gentleman named Terry. Anyway, it features a range slider that you can use to shift the time in your own time zone while shifting the time in another time zone. Now, that turned out, of course, to be a big part of our current challenge uh, assignment. But I was working on it before it was actually the assignment. So, anyway, this week I was showing it off to Klaus Wolf, and he mentioned that he really liked the lookup text area that allowed the user to type in a city name. And getting that working was way harder than I expected it to be. But of course, that was using the same Bootstrap plugin that Bart recommended for the task. And I did that to replace the giant dropdown of Doom I had before where you had to scroll through nearly, I don't know, 500 city names. So, anyway, I got the Bootstrap plugin finally working, and he said, Oh, that's really cool. I like how you can type it in. But there's one problem. If a city name has a space in the title, the official moment.js name listing puts in an underscore. So if the user types in LOS, they'll find Los Angeles. But if they type in LOS space, it will disappear. So I knew that was true, but I just hadn't fixed it yet. I'd looked at it and I was just like, ah, I got to start working on the new assignment. I can't just keep playing with this because I've been playing with it for so long. So Klaus noticed it and he said, oh, you should really fix that. And I said, well, you figure it out. So in a couple of You fix it. <laughs> exactly. So he downloaded my code, my code from the GitHub repo- repository where I had it and he fixed it. So then he said, OK, let me give you the code. And I said, wait a minute. You should submit it as an official pull request in GitHub. And he'd never used GitHub before. He figured out how to do it. I was able to review his code and I was able to merge it into my code. Isn't that exciting?
1: Yes. Welcome to open source. Not only are you a developer now, you're an open source developer.
0: Yeah, I was I was so excited by this because um Bart has said that, you know, that's when you know you're actually a developer is when you create a project, people contribute to the project, you contribute to other people's projects, and it's one of the reasons you've allowed me to have access to your project is I get to change things there and it, it you're increasing my street cred by letting me do that, right?
1: Right, because you always did my corrections, but I used to type them into my website, which meant that to all the world it looked like some guy called Bart Bouchat's can spell, <laughs> which is nonsense.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been kind of nice. Well, plus I would always have to send you screenshots and say fix this, this, you know, fix that, yeah. like like other people do for me. I don't type well either, so.
1: Anyway, yeah. I- so now, for the for the last couple of weeks, because we haven't really mentioned it on the show in much detail, because we're we will be looking at Git as a topic shortly, but we haven't really been harping on about it. But I've been slowly getting you into the whole Git thing. So for the last couple of weeks, months, the show notes have been on GitHub in an organization, which means they're not locked in my account. They're in an organization, and Alison is a member of the same organization. So Allison doesn't even have to do a pull request for me to approve. Allison just has full access. And so when you see typos, you fix typos. And you don't have to worry because if you accidentally turn, you know, fix a typo in such a way that it enrichs the meaning or something, well, I can just undo that change because it's a version control system.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a little terrifying that you had that much faith in me until you explained that you didn't actually have to have faith in me. You could put it back if I screwed it up, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole point of source control is that you have that control. So you don't have to be afraid of experimenting. And I mean, it's practical for you as a programmer, because you don't have to worry about exploding all of your work. Because if you start off in the morning with working code, and you make it worse and worse and worse and worse, and at the end of the day, you're way behind where you started, just discard all of those commits. And well, you're back where you started. I guess you haven't made any progress today, but you haven't made it worse. Not that
0: that has ever happened to me.
1: Oh, it happens to me all the time.
0: So we uh, we did uh, we do have to give a big shout out to Helma who taught me to use um, SourceTree and and also help help me with the general concepts of of working with Git too. So uh, a lot of it has been Helma's work in the background to allow me to to be able to understand how to do this. So it's been it's been fun.
1: Excellent. And that's to say we're going to do it as a topic on the actual series shortly because. Developer tools are kind of as important as programming languages to get code written.
0: Mm.
1: You know, it's yeah. a nail without a hammer isn't much good, <laughs> even if it can hold the ship together. You still got to get the the, the nail into the ship. Okay, stretching that analogy a bit, but anyway, um, PBS ninety eight of X. Um, so this was supposed to be a. One final topic, and then we were finished with all of the new concepts for JavaScript. And then we were going to do our Git, and then we were going to move to PHP. And I started writing the show notes, and it was Wednesday, and they were a mess. And I couldn't see how to make them not be a mess. And then it was Thursday, and I was getting really panicky. And then while I was out cycling, I had a brainwave, and I realized that the reason it's not working is because I'm trying to do too much in one week. So I literally, and I don't do this very often, I did command A and I hit the backspace <gasps> key.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Now they're committed in Git, so I could have undone <laughs> if I wanted. Right. But yeah, no, I, I started over. So hmm. what was going to be a one parter is going to be a two-parter. Um and this part, the actual new stuff is tiny. And there's no new syntax. It's just a, a subtle new usage. But I think we need to do this to lay the foundation for next week when we meet our final piece of new syntax. Okay. But what unites the two shows is a concept. So we've said that a class is a way of representing a thing or an idea. But things and ideas in the real world don't exist as little islands. They interact with each other. Right? And really... An object-oriented program is a collection of interacting things and concepts. Which means it's a collection of interacting classes.
0: Hmm.
1: Sometimes it might just be a handful of classes, right? If I was writing a note-taking app, I might get away with just two classes. One for notes and one for folders. Then again, I'd probably start adding tagging because I love tags. So then I'd have to have another class representing (laughs) my tags. And then I might start doing funny formatting. And so I'd have a few more classes. They can build up quite quickly.
0: And then users so the are going to want categories and tags,
1: right? So there's some more classes, probably. You're right, yeah. Um, but then just imagine something like a game—that's like objects everywhere. So you're going to have classes representing like your your wizards and your elves and <laughs> your trees and your spells. The whole magic system is probably twenty or thirty classes. So you know, I mean, these things really balloon out very quickly in real-world projects, and so. It's actually important to think about how classes work together because a class is like a piece of Lego, which is fun, but multiple pieces of Lego interconnected in sensible ways is way more fun. And so that's why I've called this building with classes. And there's two types of relationship a class can have with another class, which is where the Lego analogy breaks down quite badly because Lego bricks can just click together. Various classes can can be can have two distinct relationships. And they're colloquially referred to as Haza and Iza. Hmm. Okay. And is the easy one, so that's today's work. And Iza is where our final concept comes into play because the mechanism for doing an Iza is a really important concept called inheritance. And so that's going to be next week. But before inheritance makes sense, by the the way, when
0: you're he's saying is a, it's not I Z Z A, it's I S dash A, like is as in is a, yeah,
1: like Allison is a person, right, right. You know, just want to make sure Tesla is a dog.
0: Didn't think this was some crazy new language,
1: indeed. And so has a is is again the same sort of a, a construction, right? So a has a relationship means that your car has a steering wheel it has a trunk it has uh, it has four wheels but we still call it a has a relationship we don't we don't do grammar we programmers <laughs> um so your car has four has a relationships with wheel uh or five if you include the steering wheel i guess six if you include the spare tire um anyway you get the I idea i don't
0: have a spare tire did you know that
1: no teslas don't have them <laughs> Do Does electricity make tire make air not go out of tires with holes?
0: No, and you also can't tow them. It can only ah. be fixed on a... You can only be flat bedded away. It's kind of terrifying. Ah. Well, uh,
1: like I drive an automatic, which is very unusual for Ireland. And the fact that my car can't be push started has been the cause of some trouble. I don't know if you guys have the AA, but over here they have very, very bright yellow vans, and it was very embarrassing to have one in front of my house.
0: Oh, we have AAA because we're cooler. Anyway. The American
1: <laughs> Automobile Association, I'm guessing. Probably. As anyway. opposed to American Airlines. Right. Oh, that's like, why you can't have AA. Maybe. Anyway, so today we're just really interested in the HAZA relationship, which is actually very simplistic. So there is zero new syntax. Um and because it's so simple of a concept, I figured we'll do a worked example. But the main thrust of the example is to going to be to cement all of the other concepts we've come across in the last couple of weeks in our run through object orientation. I could so use before that we make our last push, Still, yeah, I figured before we make the final push into inheritance, which is the coolest thing about object orientation. We should steady the foundation a bit before we go to the cool final bit. Because otherwise, I'm afraid you won't, You, won't. I won't have a big enough ooh. God <laughs> darn it, I want a big ooh. OK. So I'm just going to start off and just say what an hazard relationship is. And it's not going to take me very long. And then we can get into a worked example. So we know that instances of classes can have data attributes. Instance data attributes, we've been calling them, right? Right? And we have been giving those values like strings or numbers or booleans. Yes, uh, that's all instance data attributes can have. No, 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 but it's all they have had so far. Okay. Oh. But you're right. They okay they they can have anything. Okay. They could have an instance of another class as their value. Oh. Hey presto! That's a has-a relationship.
0: So say that one more time. What can they have?
1: If the value of a data attribute in an instance of one class is an instance of another class, then you have a has a relationship.
0: (laughs) And you just had to use is a in order to tell me what has a was.
1: (laughs) I know it's English. Yeah. No mappy. Nice to code. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think that's it. That that is the entire instalment, really. Um, Should we but... see if I can repeat that?
0: Yes, and I'm going to try not to read. I'm closing my eyes. Uh, and okay. If an an instance data attribute can have as its value another instance,
1: no, an instance of another class,
0: an instance of another class. Okay. Oh, then okay. those two okay. classes so, have a relationship. Okay, so it it has a instance of another class yeah okay
1: let's let's go concrete right the reason for a worked example is because this is really weird in the abstract so let's make it concrete all right so our worked example is going to be around the concept of a currency amount not like so far when we've dealt with currencies it's been like describing the currency but we haven't actually talked about an amount of money, which is actually a somewhat broader context, right? $5 is not the, is not the same as $5, right? $5 okay. has two pieces of information, an amount and a currency. Okay. So to, to represent monetary amounts, we're actually going to have three concepts interacting with each other. So an amount of money has a given currency, And a given currency comes in one or two denominations. So if I put that into a sentence, as an example, the sum of $5.45 is in US dollars, which have two denominations, dollars and cents. Okay. So we have monetary amount, currency and denomination. They're going to be our three classes.
0: Okay, I'm going to stop you right here. Because I have read ahead on the notes and I'm stuck on some the terminology of your 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 naming doesn't make sense to me. Uh, deno- okay, denomination is well the currency is the dollar symbol, right?
1: No, the currency is U.S. dollars, which has two denominations: the dollar and the cent.
0: Okay, then what is monetary amount? The five dollar five dot four five. Okay, so five dot four five is the monetary amount, currency. Is the the dollar symbol?
1: No, the U.S. dollar. Oh. So U.S. dollar is a currency which consists of dollars and cents.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: Sterling is a better but, example but because you dollar, don't have to repeat it.
0: What is the dollar symbol? Is that a currency or a denomination?
1: The dollar symbol is a symbol that come that's a property of of the currency.
0: Okay, but you said currency was the words U.S. dollars.
1: No, the concept. The, the...
0: Sorry. I know this sounds picky, but this is exactly where I got stuck trying to keep track of which one you were talking right. about. Right. So,
1: okay. So as, an, as a thing, mm-hmm. US dollars is a currency, right? Okay. Or sterling is a currency. Okay. And when you actually have money in US dollars, it comes in two denominations, dollars and cent. Right. Or if you have sterling... It comes in two denominations, pounds and pennies. Okay. Right? Okay. Okay. So the currency doesn't have an amount, right? The currency is just the fact that there is okay. a thing called the US dollar or a greenback, and it exists in two sizes, dollars and cents, and a cent is one hundredth of a dollar if you want to get very picky.
0: Okay. I think I'm clear now. Sorry to yeah. the audience so, for that but I it was throwing me. I hope I can No, but it's
1: say. important because there are three distinct concepts and we're about to describe in code a relationship between them, right? That's the yeah. whole point here is that we have three concepts, so three classes, and then there's relationships, which is our in today's case our has-a. So a monetary amount has a currency and a currency has one or two denominations. So it's a Two has their relationships,
0: okay, I think so.
1: Now I say one or two for denominations because there exist currencies that don't have an equivalent of cent. The Japanese yen, that's it. it's just the yen. There, there is no there is no mini yen, there is no cent yen or yen cent or yen penny <laughs> it, it, It's just the yen. Right. The yen has one denomination, the yen. And we found that. Sorry, out the when Japanese we did our yen curtsy. comes in one denomination, the yen. When we did our. And to really confuse things, do that right? Yeah, yeah. And to really confuse things, the plural of yen is yen. <laughs> so, very reductivist. So, the full code is in a file called money.js, because it just sounded fun. Can't have any actual money, but I can make a file called money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And we're going to be interacting with it, as always, through a JavaScript console, which is the file pbs98.html. And I'm now writing a third note to myself, mention libraries.
0: Okay. We've been taking so, notes we're looking at
1: this. The code in money.js assumes that is.js and numeral.js are available to it. Which is why when you look in uh, pbs98.html, you will see that it loads is.js from a CDN and numeral.js from a CDN. And then it loads money.js locally.
0: Do we need to know what is.js is?
1: Um, y- yes, numeral? it's the type checking library we've been using on and off for the past couple of months. So is.string, is.not.string. Okay. okay. Ringing any bells?
0: Yeah, I didn't know that was how it was happening. (laughs) I just thought Ah, it was built in. there we go. Uh, And Uh, numeral.js is doing math for us?
1: It is doing number formatting for us. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Um, We introduced it, I believe, a few installments back when you did all the horrible dividing by 100 and remainders and stuff. And I was like, yeah, no, I couldn't be bothered doing all that mathematics. My head hurts. (laughs) And I just went and got numeral.js.
0: Yeah, it was divide by a number. <laughs> it was tough. <laughs> anyway, okay. Oh,
1: i tie myself in nuts enough as it is. <laughs> so, in the abstract, right, we know we're modeling a concept that has three parts. So, any programming project starts with the scariest thing on planet Earth, the empty page. Where do you begin?
0: Sort of like my homework is right now, (laughs) still looking at me going, Oh, I I, did, and mine too. Um,
1: (laughs) So, where, like, it's a real question. You know, you're going to be modeling all these different things with lots of classes and they're all going to have relationships, but where do you start coding? Well, the answer is you start at the most fundamental part. So, a monetary amount has a currency, and a currency has one or two denominations. Well, that means that the most fundamental building brick here is the denomination,
0: because so until I hate you define this, what but... a
1: denomination is, you can't define a currency, and until you've defined a currency, you can't define a monetary amount.
0: So you said a monetary amount has a currency.
1: I did. And a currency has two houses
0: so, so it just seems odd to me to think of the currency as being like a subset of the monetary amount that that seems it's not odd. a
1: subset it's not a subset it is a part of right and a monetary amount is a number of is a number okay and a currency so a sum of money is not five or it's not euro, it's five euros.
0: I think I finally figured out why this is bothering me is I think of the dollar. I still think of the dollar symbol itself, which is the denomination uh, in your in your language here. And I, to me, that's the currency. But no, the currency includes says cents. the dollar right there.
1: Right. But the U.S. dollar consists of dollars and cents. It's just that you name. It's very common to name your currency after the major denomination, but not all okay. the currencies do. Sterling okay. consists of pounds and pennies.
0: All right, all right. So currency is dollars and cents, denominations is dollars or cents. Correct. Okay,
1: all right. Pennies or pounds, etc.
0: I almost would have been better off if we'd used like Korean money or something because I've, I've got too much in my own head.
1: I'm trying to remember, China is a country where the currency and the denominations are different. Sterling is again a good example, right? Because sterling is a British currency and the two denominations are pound and penny. But in okay. the U.S., it's U.S. dollar, which consists of dollars and cents, and the euro is the euro, which consists of euros and euro cent, which is no near as fun. Anyway, so the most fundamental is at the bottom of that has a has a relationship, which is the denomination. So that's where you start. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I want to say also, which is a note to self to write into show notes, this. The full code is in money.js. I don't want to go through it every single line because it's long. I'm going to cherry pick parts of it to, to illustrate points. And so what you're seeing in the show notes is never going to be everything. It's just going to be the bits that I want to highlight. So you definitely do want to look at the full file to understand the full solution. Does that and, make sense?
0: Yeah. And I'm going to add a little bit to that. Uh, normally when Bart takes a subset like that, he walks through every piece of the subset that you're looking at, but he's not going to Mm. go into detail on every bit of the subset either. It's sort of like a three-tiered approach.
1: Yeah, because at this stage, we're interested in the forest, not the trees. Okay. So it's the concepts I want to get across rather than getting too stuck in the weeds, if I may mix my metaphors horribly. (laughs) Okay. So our denomination class is a very simple class, really. Um, A a denomination basically has two names, a singular name and a plural name, and it has a symbol. Um, So for penny, that might be P is the symbol for penny. Penny is the singular name for penny, and pennies is the plural name for penny. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So that means that our class... Is going to be very straightforward so it has no class attributes it has no class functions it has three regular instance data attributes it has a constructor and it has no instance functions okay. so it's a pretty darn simple little class
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the three regular attribute the instance data attributes are all implemented using getters and setters. And so this is an opportunity to choose one, I've chosen symbol, to remind ourselves of how getters and setters work together with a private variable to produce a single output, sort of like um, like, like the shamrock is three leaves, put together as a unit. So to a user of our class, there is one attribute named symbol. But under the hood, it's actually made of three parts. There's a getter and a setter, and both of those are actually manipulating a private variable called underscore symbol. Okay. So the getter simply takes the value of the hidden variable and returns it. So the getter is very straightforward. Get symbol, open parrens, close parrens, open curly, return this, that underscore symbol, end the function. Mm-hmm. That's pretty darn straightforward. The setter, ultimately, its main job is just to write the value given to it into the private variable. But before it does the write, it does our sanity checking. So its job is make sure the data I'm about to stick into the private variable is sane. If and only if that's true, write it into the private variable. Otherwise, throw an error. Right. So our set function, our setter, is set symbol open. Parens. We have to name the new value, so I've named it S for symbol. I could have named it boogers, but I chose S. Mm -hmm. So then we say, if is.not.string S, so there's our is.js in action. Throw new type error, symbol must be a string. If is.empty S, again, our is.js in action, throw new range error, symbol cannot be empty. If neither of those two have happened, this.underscore symbol becomes equal to S. Okay. So that is the general pattern of normal getter and setters. So those three pieces together behave as one. So let's look at it from the other side, right? So that's how it's in. That's how when you're writing the class, how you create the single instance data attribute symbol. So what does that look like when you're using the class? So let's pop open our terminal on PBS ninety eight HTML, and let's make ourselves a denomination. So const penny becomes equal to new denomination p, comma penny, comma pennies. So my constructor, which we haven't looked at yet, takes three arguments, a symbol, a singular name, and a plural name. So p penny pennies.
0: Okay. Got it.
1: So we can read the symbol like we would any other attributes. So console.log, penny.symbol logs p. We can then change the symbol, by saying penny.symbol becomes equal to a P with a squiggle, which I found in the emoji viewer. Um, it's called P with hook. Okay, that'll do Just something interesting. Yep. Console.log, penny.symbol, and now it logs the P with the hook. Okay. If I then try to do something silly, like set the symbol equal to a new date, it throws a type error. So okay. penny.symbol becomes equal to new date type error.
0: OK, makes sense.
1: Perfect. So that's just a little reminder of getters and setters and how they work together to produce a single attribute or what looks like a single attribute, which is just penny dot symbol in this case. So this class also provided me with an opportunity to, to remind people that getters and setters can do more than just write to a private variable. You can also use getters and setters to simulate extra properties or extra data attributes that don't really exist. So singular name is an awful long name. And usually the name we mean is the singular name. So why don't we add another attribute called name, which is basically just an alias for singular name. And so we can do that by simply having a getter and a setter that don't have a matching private variable. Instead, they simply call the getter and setter for singular name. So get name, return this dot singular name. Set name n. This dot singular name becomes equal to n.
0: So this one didn't sink in. I don't. I don't understand okay. what was magic about what just happened. That looks a lot like what we did in the previous one, except no type checking. Well,
1: Very there is checking. type checking. The type checking is happening. So name is just an alias for singular name here. So I do know what
0: singular name is, though.
1: A singular name is just an attribute. So, remember we were saying that the class has three attributes, a symbol, a singular name, and a plural name? Okay. What? So, all three of them are implemented in the same way as symbol, so you can see them in the code. Um,
0: okay. So th- starting okay, on line
1: funny. 39.
0: Okay. So... So we've got a, a function called singular, or a, a an attribute called singular name, and it's got this same uh, characteristics as your symbol does.
1: Correct. So as you say, starting on line thirty nine, get singular name, return this that underscore singular name, set singular name if is that not dot string singular name must be a string. If is that empty, okay, Throw new error. Singular name cannot be empty. This that okay. underscore singular name becomes equal to sn.
0: Okay, okay. So, all right, so we've got this thing called singular name, and why why are we creating something called name if we already have singular
1: name? Yeah, because we're lazy, and we don't want to type singular name all the time.
0: Oh, that's all this is doing?
1: Yeah, it's creating it, yeah. So, under the hood, it's not two properties, it's just the one private variable, but to someone from the outside, they get the choice. They can either say dot .name or dot .singular name, and it means the same thing.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: It's useful to be able to have aliases. And it's one of the things that getters and setters give us.
0: Okay. So that's what it, okay.
1: So we can see that in action in the next set of samples here, if we go into our console. So we can create a denomination called den1. Just call the constructor with no arguments, just a fully default one. If we then console.log den one dot name comma den one dot singular name, you'll see that the default name is coin, so it's going to log. So for dot name and dot singular name both log coin. Okay. If we then say den onesingularname name becomes equal to Huniacker, and then we log dot name and dot singular name, you'll see it now says Huniacker Huniacker,
0: because right.
1: they really are just two names for the same thing. Okay. If I say del1.name becomes equal to squid, both name and singular name now log as squid. So we get squid, squid. Okay. And if I try to put the name to new date, it also throws a type error. Okay. So under the hood, it's one private variable, but the end user of our class has the choice of name or singular name for interacting with that same piece of information.
0: Okay, so we've been using a f- uh, a class called denomination that we haven't actually seen
1: yet. Uh, well, I'm describing it at the moment, yeah. so okay. So somewhere the class in there is... on line five.
0: Okay, so somewhere in there, it talks about uh, the default being coin, for example.
1: Yes. So the constructor okay. sets default values. Okay. Which let's go have a look at that constructor since we mentioned it. So. I've mentioned that as a general rule, we want our constructors, if at all possible, to work without any arguments. That is a, a good thing to strive for. Sometimes it's not possible, but usually there is a sane default you could throw at it. So it's a good rule to try and make your constructors work with no arguments. And it's also a good guideline, which I don't think I've explicitly said, so I figured now is as good an opportunity as any. When you're choosing the order, it's generally speaking, the thing that you're least likely to want to go to customize from the default goes at the end of the list. And then the stuff that you're more likely to want to mess with goes to the front of the list. Hmm. Okay. So in this case, I've decided after a lot of humming and hawing, I wanted to keep the two names next to each other. And the plural name is the least important. So that sort of meant that by default, I put the symbol first.
0: So your are considering so a symbol, singular name, then plural
1: name. Exactly.
0: So if they only give so you the one constru- thing, it'll be the symbol. If they give you two, it'll be the symbol and the singular name.
1: Correct, correct. And okay. if you give me three, it'll be singular name and plural name. And so for the most part, my defaults are fairly boring, right? The default symbol is the OctoThorpe, which mm-hmm. is just numeracy. Seems like a good enough default symbol. Mm-hmm. Nice and generic. And the default singular name is coin. But the default plural name is mildly clever. The default for plural name is whatever singular name you gave me with an S stuck on the end. Ah. So, so you have to be smart most,
0: enough to send, to give you a plural. If you think, ah, uh, I should probably give him the plural name because like penny, is it isn't penny with an S, it's pennies. So I need to give him the third argument.
1: Correct. But okay. most of the time you can get away without it. Okay. So for dollar and cent, you can just pass two arguments and the class will take care of the rest for you. Okay. But for yen, for the plural of yen is yen, you need to pass yen yen. Mm-hmm. And for penny, you need to pass penny and pennies because of that I-E-S okay. spelling on the end.
0: Got it. Got it. Perfect. Makes perfect sense. And you've, and you've got console.log things we can go through that do show exactly that.
1: They do indeed. Okay. So if we call the constructor with nothing, we get back octothorpe coin coins. If we pass it the cent symbol as the only argument, we get cent coin coins. If we pass it cent symbol and cent as in the letters C-E-N-T, we get cent symbol, cent cents, which is really hard to say. (laughs) And if we pass all three, we get P penny pennies and we get it behaving as it should. Okay, good. So that's just an illustration of how we want constructors to behave.
0: So that was the easy one, huh? The denomination?
1: Yeah, but yeah, I mean it's very straightforward, right? We really just have three properties, and that's okay. Kind of but
0: I got I got my muscles uh, warmed up now. I'm ready for the next one.
1: Exactly, and the point being, we've now illustrated constructors again. We've illustrated getters and setters again. So we're just sort of reminding ourselves of what we know so far. Now, by far the most of the work in this collection of three classes is done by the currency class. It is doing almost all of the heavy lifting right so if you look in the file it starts on line 124 and continues all the way he says to line 506. holy cow
0: i'm glad we're not going through all of that
1: yeah so this is why i'm cherry picking right so mm-hmm. all the code is there it's quite heavily commented so a lot of those line numbers are comments and mm-hmm. um, I also like to space out my code so I can scroll through it easily. So whenever I start a big section, I have a three line comment, slash, slash, and then slash, slash, and then the text, and then another slash, slash on the line below it. it So it is,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. So it is pretty, you know, it's not dense 400 lines of code, but it is 400 lines of code and comments. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So this class has a little bit more going on because it actually does have some static class sorry some class functions aka static functions um and it has a pair of functions i want to focus on because they're similar and yet different in one really important way and that illustrates why why you might choose to make something a class function versus an instance function because that's obviously a question you might have as a programmer why should i make one of these a class function and one of these an instance function and so the rule of, well, okay, so the way I would say it in English is functions that don't interact with any instance data attributes should be class functions. Hmm. Okay. They'll, they'll work either way, but. But it, why would you? It seems weird to have it be an instance function if it doesn't interact with any instance data. So I say it should be a class function. However. Functions that interact with instance, oh, that's a typo and a half. Uh, Sorry, no, no, it's not a typo. I just can't read my own writing. Functions that do interact with instance data attributes must be instance functions, because otherwise they actually can't function.
0: Okay, okay, that makes sense. So a a, a a function can be a class function if it doesn't interact with the instance data attributes. Yes. But it could also be an instance function if you wanted to. But an instance function, something has to be an instance function if it does interact with the instance data attributes.
1: Yeah, because otherwise it has no way the, to get at that data. Right, 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 right. Oh, I did it, I did yeah. it, I said it. Perfect. <laughs> so... We have a pair of functions which superficially look similar, but one of them is a class function, and one of them has to be an instance function. So the first function, its job in life, is to do something I found myself copying and pasting. And whenever you find yourself copying and pasting, it's a bad smell, and you do something about it. (laughs) So turns out that when you're messing around with currencies, you quite often want to render an amount as a whole number, but comma-separated thousands. Okay. So you want to have something like one, two, three, dot, four, f- sorry, one, two, three, four, dot, five, six to be rendered as one, two, three, five because five, six rounds Oh, up. okay. Yeah? Yeah. So I decided to name that amount as human int. As in human now, integer? Yeah, I, I thought it was long enough name as it was. Okay. <laughs> now, That does not in any way interact with any property of a currency, right? That is just a thing that exists on its own. It doesn't need a specific currency to be able to do that. So that makes it a prime candidate for being static
0: okay? or to being class. I'm going to need to use this function.
1: Exactly. And it's related to my currency. So it seems like as good a place as any to tack it in. But it really doesn't relate to a specific instance. It's just related to the vague concept. So in it goes as a class function. Okay. and very straightforward function. Static amount as human int takes one argument, which I've chosen to name amount. Amount becomes equal to coerce amount, amount. Hmm. Something interesting going on here. Put a pin in that. Uh, not for long, but put a pin in it for a sec. And then we simply say return numeral. So there's our numeral.js library coming into play. Numeral amount dot format zero, comma zero. That basically means rewrite this number as an integer with comma separators for the thousands. Okay. And that just does it as does what we want. So we can see that in action by opening up the console and we can console dot log currency with a capital C, which is the name of the class, dot amount as human int one two three four dot five six and it console dot logs one, comma, two
0: three five. Yep. Does as it says on the tin, okay?
1: So, the important point to note is because this is a class function, the thing to the left of the dot operator is the name of the class that it belongs to. So, it's currency with a capital C because it's class currency with a capital C. Dot amount dot human in. Now, right, within... Hang on, hang
0: on. I'm ch- having trouble finding where you're saying it. Where do we have a capital C? Oh, there we, there we go. Currency capital C. Got it. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now, Within the function, we use the magic word this, or not the magic word, the keyword this. Mm-hmm. So, because this is a class function, this is a reference to the class the function belongs to. So, what this? If you excuse the terrible <laughs> repetition, so this amount is calling another static function named coerce amount. So if you look in the code, you'll find that, oh yes, on line 136, there actually are two static functions inside the class currency. Hmm. And the second one is, is another classic example of something I'm doing over and over and over again, taking an argument, if possible, converting it to a floating point number, and if I fail, throwing an error. And I was doing that over and over <laughs> and over again when validating data in function after function so i gave it a name and made it a static function
0: you should have a text expander but, snippet for that one i've seen you write that
1: you before. know because text expander snippets don't go back in time oh <laughs> if i change if i made a mistake in my logic i would have to find it everywhere oh, so right. the similar but well, different write function it correctly
0: then jeez
1: <laughs> <laughs> hello i'm a human <laughs> So the similar but subtly different function writes takes, again, an amount as an argument, but this time it formats it with the appropriate number of decimal places for the specific currency, the magic word being the specific currency. In other words, we're interacting with a data attribute, which is the specific currency or in this case, the number of decimal places, which for reasons I do not want to go into because the math made my head hurt, I chose to call subdenomination order. It does make sense, I promise, but <laughs> read the comments in my code if you if you must. I don't want to go into it now.
0: Okay. The point Wait, being... What, what is it we're trying to do right now in this function you're talking about? What's the purpose of Okay, it? so
1: if the input is 1234.567, and if the currency in question has two decimal places, then we want it to print out 1,234.57. Okay. Because so so six point six seven gets rounded up to 7. So
0: we're trying to change it into a floating point that has two decimal places.
1: It has two decimal places if the currency has two decimal places, three decimal places if the currency has three decimal places, one uh-huh. decimal place if the currency has one decimal place.
0: Okay, so this this would definitely have to be an instance function then.
1: Bing, bing, bing. Okay, okay. Perfect. You've understood the point I was trying to make exactly. Okay. And really, so there we have an example of two superficially similar functions, but because one of them needs to know about a specific instance and the other one doesn't, one of them is a class function and the other one is an instance function. And that's the only point I was trying to make. Okay. Now. Within a class function, we know that this is a reference to the class. Within an instance function, this is a reference to the instance. But sure. we still want to use our course amount function because, well, we still got to make sure our amount is a number, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So how do we access a static function from within an instance function? Well, as we mentioned last time, you do it by using the constructor property of the instance so this dot constructor dot course amount is calling the static function
0: okay okay
1: so that's how you cross the boundary from instance to static when you need to
0: i'm trying to find so, where we are in the show notes is why i'm pausing that oh there caught it okay
1: All right. So that's Perfect. kind of the other thing I want to draw your attention to there. Um and the other thing I'll just say in the abstract is that the kind of thing that tends to end up in static functions is data validation. Oh. Like course amount. Okay. Because it's the kind of thing you tend to do over so and over. Stuff and over you've got to
0: do that's not specific to what your end game. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Um oh, wait, I can give a great example. Let's say you were making a cheesecake. A static Ooh, function. Love some cheesecake. A static function might be where uh, a function that explained how to spread the frosting on the cake. But if you were getting into anything about the specific flavor of that frosting, you would have to make that an instance function.
1: Yes, because if it's a key lime flavored cheesecake, which is the best cheesecake, and well, require a specific, specific
0: thing about key limes. You, yeah. needed to, you needed to peel it first or
1: something to, in order to make it. <laughs> I think the key ingredient in key lime pie is the lime zest. Not to, zest not to be, right. Don't, don't spare the zest.
0: That's the word I was actually thinking of when I said peel. I wanted to say zest and I forgot it, but okay. It so sounds that, so
1: much more chefy, doesn't it? The zest <laughs> the lemon or the lime in this case. Anyway. Mm. <laughs> right, sorry. I got completely distracted by cooking. I love cooking. Um so finally we're ready. <laughs> We're ready to meet our has-a relationship. Oh, okay. Which is supposed to be the point. So when we look at the data attribute, the instance data attributes for the currency class, there's actually quite a few of them. Um, so if you look at the constructor, which is starts on line 306, the comment above it describes all the different data attributes that currencies have. Um, one of those is the denomination or the primary denominations. I call it in English, which I've just given the name denomination as the property. And that is one of our, has our relationships. So let's look at that getter and setter in detail. And the thing I want you to notice is how utterly, utterly unremarkable it is. Right? Get denomination. Return this dot underscore denomination. Well, that's no different to the symbol when we looked at in the uh, in the first class, is it? Right. Set denomination d again. I could have called it anything. I called it d. Okay. In the symbol case, we were checking whether or not the past argument was a string. Well, the only thing different here is that we're checking that we got handed an instance of the class we want, and the way you do that is with the instance of operator. So really, the only thing here that's different is the data validation. We're saying, if not D instance of denomination, throw new type error, denomination must be an instance of the class denomination. And now we're saying this underscore denomination becomes equal to D.
0: Okay, hang on. Hang on. Okay. Um. So we're doing data validation on what was passed to the instance function denomination
1: so the setter
0: no is what i said correct or false did i say it wrong i'm not sure okay let me say it again we're doing data validation on the uh value we've been given to the function Mm -hmm. denomination and it's an instance function correct
1: it's a setter for an instance data attribute
0: so it's not an instance
1: function. Yes, and. <laughs>
0: okay, okay, okay. So I'm kind of confused. We're we're talking about an instance function a setter for an instance data attribute, and we're checking to see whether what we've been handed is an instance of the thing we're checking it for. Except, no. oh, wait, it's got a capital D and a lowercase d. Oh, you're killing me. Why is that?
1: Class names have a capital. Right. So the name of the attribute is the denom- is denomination, right? Because the, the currency an has upper, a denomination. You've got to say
0: upper and lowercase every time now, because I don't didn't I'm lost.
1: Okay. So we are in the class currency. Okay. The class currency has a an instance data attribute named denomination with a lowercase d. Okay. And that must the value for that. For that instance, data attribute must be an instance of the class denomination. So, for the currency sterling, the denomination could be pound, assuming pound was an instance of the class denomination. The it's it's the, the has-a relationship, the lower... right?
0: So you aren't just trying to make my brain explode doing, using the same word twice to mean two totally different things again.
1: No. It's, it's because
0: be- the denomination with the capital D is the class. Yes. And it actually does make a sense in a twisted JavaScript only kind of way or programming kind way that we're making this getter and setter function be lowercase d because it really has to be one of the classes capital D denomination.
1: Yeah, and it would just be really weird to name it anything else but yeah, what well, it I, is. Which I is...
0: normally don't take that as an answer, but in this case, I'm going to allow it because it makes Yay. you Pardon, <laughs> I've had this argument 742 times, I think it is now. Um, but, I think I, but I think I understand why you're doing it because lowercase d, it better be part of an instance of the capital D version, so it should be named the same thing so you don't forget. It's got to be one of those.
1: That is a that is true as well. Yeah. Okay. And it's just a sensible name for it. It's just it just works. Okay. So really, the only thing that makes this a has-a relationship is that the value is an instance of a different class. So yeah. we're in the class currency, and the value is an instance of the class denomination. Therefore, currency has a denomination.
0: Currency has a denomination. Okay.
1: That's, that's it. Like that is, that's all a has a relationship is. It's just, I take an instance and I store it as a data attribute. We now okay. have a relationship. No okay. special syntax. Okay. Hmm. Uh, our currency has a second has a Oh God, that's hard to say because of course we have the sub denomination, right? So us dollar consists of dollar and cent sterling consists of pound and penny. And Yen consists of only Yen. So what makes the subdenomination different from the denomination is that the subdenomination is optional. Mm-hmm. Now, because of how I've chosen to internally store my data, I am using the number of decimal places to represent the power of 10 to which represents the number of the smaller one in the bigger one. Which sounds horrible, but actually makes the math. (laughs) It's impossible to say in English, but the math it produces is beautiful. Okay. So there are a hundred cent in a dollar. Do you Mm. agree with that? Yes. Which is 10 to the power of two. Yes. Which is two decimal places. Okay. Okay. So what I'm storing is the subdenomination order of two. Order? What do you mean by order? Order of magnitude, but I didn't oh,
0: want to go that far. Oh, when I read this the first time, I thought you meant you got to do this first and that second, is what order means. Okay, gotcha.
1: Now I'm afraid my, my physics-y head is on too tight. Or well, Never no. even occurred
0: to me that it had another meaning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Order of magnitude, okay.
1: Yeah, so two just means two decimal places.
0: Or a hundred. Okay, so subdenomination is that number? Two or one. So sub denomination,
1: no, no. So sub denomination would be cent, and sub denomination order would be two. Okay. Because there's a hundred cent in a dollar. Okay.
0: I'm but gonna, like,
1: keep going so we can understand. Yeah, this. no, no. If, there's a reason. We're definitely okay, in the so weeds. That, Right, but there's a reason I'm mentioning. There's a reason that the getter and setter for sub denomination has to also sometimes update the sub denomination order, because what if you're the yen? where you have no subdenomination. That means that the number of decimal places needs to be forced down to zero. Because mm-hmm. there is no amount of a sub thing that you can raise up. Okay. So that's why the setter for subdenomination interacts with two private variables. The subdenomination and the subdenomination order. And the setter for the subdenomination order also interacts with the subdenomination because if you set the order to zero it must blank out the subdenomination mm-hmm. so basically the only thing i'm saying here is that sometimes getters and setters have to interact with each other okay sometimes changing one property has an impact on another that means that your getters and setters have to mess not with one private variable but with two And that's actually the only point i want to make here is that it's not a one it's not always a case that one. One property means one private variable. Sometimes one property affects two private variables.
0: What are the two private variables? Oh, the, the, the okay, the subdenomination and the and subdenomination,
1: the sub-denomination order.
0: order. What is the subdenomination again?
1: So, okay, so the subdenomination would be, would be cent and the order would be two because oh, there's a hundred okay. cent in gotcha, a dollar. Gotcha. Okay. And for the yen, the subdenomination would be null and the subdenomination order should be zero. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Now, the final example I want to give of why getters and setters are cool is because you oh, can use can I, them I'm sorry, to. This is
0: back up one more time. I did have a note to myself. Uh, you in in checking the subdenomination denomination order. You checked is mm-hmm. is dot nan is not a number, and then you did mm-hmm. is dot not dot number. Give me an example of something that's. Not nan, oh. but fa- that fails the second one and it hasn't already failed the first one.
1: So nan is a number that represents not being a number. So nan is a very specific value in JavaScript because it's weird, right? Wait, so not a said number NAN would is be. a
0: number, and it is. Yeah,
1: number. nan is the number that represents not being a number, just like infinity is a number that represents not really a number. It's a, jav- J- Nan is a specific value in JavaScript. Like a null is a specific value, hmm. whereas not a number. That.
0: I used to think I understood Nan, now I don't, but okay. I, I right, believe so you and na- all this makes sense.
1: So number is a specific type, right? So things are booleans, numbers, strings, or objects. So a f- an object is not a number. A string is not a number. A boolean is not a number.
0: Okay, so what is is.not.number dot dot then?
1: Is, okay, so is.number means it has to be a number. Is.not.number dot dot is just invert. I'm trying so to so not what means... in the
0: universe of things would fail the first test, or would pass the first test and fail the second test?
1: Uh, the string boogers. Huh. NaN is a specific value. NaN.
0: Okay, let's that is move on. Value let's move that on. Rep- that's not the subject of this, but that I'm not following that at all. But we can, we but can. But that's JavaScript
1: that. weirdness. That's not normal. Okay, good. <laughs> that that's not that's not logical. It's not sensible, and it's not in any other language. Well, okay, okay. I won't make that last global statement because <laughs> there are going to be examples of it being in other languages. But it's not sane or rational or reason. Okay. Oh, right. I can hear Jill's keyboard. Um,
0: <laughs> I was hearing it in my head, too. Jill sends us little missives about different languages and how they deal with things. But okay. Yes. Anyway. All right. I think I follow this section then. Okay,
1: good. So the final example I want to give of a clever getter or setter is I've added a property to my currency to flag whether or not it's imaginary. It's a simple Boolean uh, Wait, what's property. What's an
0: imaginary currency?
1: Uh, the Huniaker. Oh,
0: oh, 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 sorry. My math brain was on too tight. Imaginary <laughs> numbers. I was like, he's like down here in the square root of negative one or something. I don't know what he's doing.
1: I would love, I wondered. That, I, ooh. <laughs> and and your, wording, a thing?
0: your wording says another, another interesting pair of instance data attributes is real and imaginary. You didn't say these are things I'm making up. <laughs>
1: True. Well, they <laughs> okay. are instant state attributes. So sometimes it makes sense to say, you know, if my currency dot is dot real, and sometimes it might look nicer code to say dot imaginary. So why not make getters and setters for both, but have one private variable underneath and just throw a not statement in front of everything for one of them? So okay. get imaginary return this dot underscore imaginary set imaginary. This. underscore imaginary becomes equal to, and then we use a ternary operator to make sure it's always true or false. So if what you passed a value is true c, we set it to true, and if it's false c, we set it to false. That mm-hmm. makes sense? Yep. Get real, we say return not this. underscore imaginary. And set real is this. underscore imaginary becomes equal to or, instead of being question mark true, true false, false, it's false true.
0: Okay. This makes so more one, sense when you don't. Know so, one what you're private variable,
1: about. but we just invert the logic and yeah. we give it two different names. That's cute. Really nice. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, after all of that, let us use our currency class. So, firing up our friend the JavaScript console. Uh, this is a copy paste job, Allison.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
1: Const US dollars becomes equal to new currency and. I forgot to say something out loud I wrote in my show notes. This is a reminder. Do you remember I said that there was one of these bad smells that if your function gets more than five arguments, it's time to stop and take stock? Do you remember me saying that before? Yeah,
0: yeah. You wanted to use a dictionary instead of just listing all this glop in there. Perfect. Okay.
1: Currency ended up with more than five attributes. So currency expects one argument, which is a dictionary, and you then choose to name whatever you want. Okay. So, in this case, I am saying I want the name of my currency to be US space dollar. I want the denomination to be a new denomination with just two arguments, the dollar symbol and the, the string dollar, because we know that the third argument will get defaulted to dollars. Mm-hmm. And we say the sub denomination is new denomination, the cent symbol and the word cent. And we know that will get cents as well. Okay. So we can say console.log usd.splitamount, which is one of the functions I wrote. And if you want to see evil mathematics, I would say go to line 800, sorry, not 800, 378. And then watch as you see the result of my head exploding for two hours yesterday evening.
0: <laughs> you watch Turns yourself doing the <laughs> things.
1: Math.floor behaves really unexpectedly with negative numbers. If you say math.floor of 4.9, you get 4. But when you do... Or was it math.round? No, it was... Well, anyway,
0: we got a lot more. To anyway, one of those
1: math functions basically went the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And instead of four, I got five. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I ended up having to convert everything to absolute values at math.abs and then remember that it used to be negative and then invert it again at the end by subtracting it from zero. It, oh, ooh, unpleasant. All I wanted was a function to break 5.24 into 5 and 24, but ooh, got complicated. Anyway. Console.log usd.splitamount 1.234. And it gives back the array 1 comma 23 because that is $1.23. Okay. Console.log usd.amountasstring as string returns dollar symbol 1.23, because there are, you know, order of two. Console.log usd amount as human string returns dollar one and cent23. And then we have console.log usd.amountasenglishstring. as English string. And we get back $1.23. Yeah, there we go. Uh, We then also have an example of um, the Japanese yen, which is just weird in two ways. So const yen becomes equal to new currency. We give it a name, Japanese yen. We give it a denomination, new denomination, the yen symbol, yen yen, because its plural is the same as its singular. So
0: you don't want yens?
1: Exactly, because that makes no sense. And then we say subdenomination order zero. In other words, there's nothing smaller than the yen. The, 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 the Japanese yen has one denomination, the yen.
0: Wait a minute. I thought we were going to throw an error if it wasn't a, uh, an instance of the class denomination with a capital D.
1: That's for subdenomination. Subdenomination order is the number of decimal ah, places. Okay, gotcha. So it has no decimal places gotcha, because gotcha. there is nothing smaller than the yen. Gotcha. There is no, okay. the yen does not break down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So console.log, yen.amount as English string, 2.3 is 2 yen. Okay. Whew. So that's the heavy, heavy lifting, right? The, the, the currency class is doing an awful, awful, awful lot of the work. But let's just wrap it up with our monetary amount class, which ties it all together. So the reason I say that the currency class is doing all the heavy lifting is because when you poke under the hood at the functions, or at lots of the functions in the monetary amount class, all they're doing is calling functions that do the same thing in the currency class. So the, as, a, as a practical example, the currency class has a function we've seen in action called amount as English string. And then expected an argument, which was an amount. So we saw it up above where we said USD.amount as English string Mm 1.234. So it takes 1.234 and then formats it appropriately for dollars and cents. Now, with a monetary amount, we know what currency it is because we've stored the currency as part of the monetary amount. And we know how much money there is because that's the whole point of a monetary amount. So it has a similar function that doesn't need an argument. So it's just as english string and you don't have to pass it an amount because the monetary amount has an amount
0: I'm I'm sorry but I'm tangled again on what a monetary amount is
1: <laughs>
0: $5 Okay how's that different A monetary
1: amount is an amount of money
0: How is that different than what we just did with currency we've got a dollar 23
1: Right but we had to pass it as an argument right USD does not contain an amount. USD has a function for printing what you pass it. The one, two, three, four isn't stored inside USD.
0: Okay. I, I, is monetary amount part of currency?
1: Monetary amount is a third class representing the third concept an amount of money. <laughs> an amount of money. Has a currency. Currencies have denominations. Okay. Three classes. So okay. the monetary amount is the top of the pile. I guess the five dollars.
0: Yeah, okay. So again, I'm still confused by the terminology, but you're saying that the the denomination is inside the currency and the currency is inside the monetary amount. Monetary amount's got everything in it.
1: Yes. Okay. Right. A monetary amount is a monetary amount. Blah, blah. I can't speak English anymore. I've broken myself. A monetary amount is an amount of a specific currency. Okay. So I used to have a physics teacher who hated, hated anyone who ever gave a number without a unit. Oh, yeah. If he, if if she said, and it was a she, very good physics teacher, but she was very picky on, uh, on um, units. If in Miss Maloney's class you ever gave her an answer of five, she would redo the riot act. As five well what should've. Mr. Bouchotts? Five <laughs> elephants? <laughs> As well she should. As well she should.
0: Keep an eye on So a
1: monetary amount is okay. five dollars. Or six yen. And yet or...
0: we haven't built monetary amount that class yet, and yet we are saying six dollars.
1: We just No no our... I'm saying the class is built, I'm just describing it.
0: No 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 but in our all our work we've been doing here in the console and making const USD mm-hmm. equals new currency we we spit out $1.23 there's our units so right, that's a monetary amount
1: exactly but we had to tell it we had to tell it the amount we wanted it to print the USD the, the USD knows how to print an amount but it isn't storing that amount we're passing it as an argument it knows how to print an amount in the abstract okay. i can print you an amount Okay, but it doesn't store any amounts.
0: Okay, all right. Let's see what monetary amount class does then.
1: So the monetary amount stores an amount and a currency. So it doesn't need to be told how much it should print out because it knows how much it is. Okay. So its equivalent function is just as English string, no arguments.
0: Okay. So is that a class? But it doesn't have to do the work, instance right?
1: Function. It is an instance function. So that it knows which exact currency and which exact amount. Okay, makes sense. So it doesn't have to do all that horrible maths again. The entirety of that function is simply return this dot as English string, passing it the argument this dot amount.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So you see how that's all hanging together? I do. Perfect. And the same is true for as human string and for as string it just calls the relevant functions on the currency class okay um the only other function I want to draw your attention to is the add function because it's an excuse to remind you about one more concept we've mentioned in passing so do you remember me saying that it's sometimes nice for your functions to support multiple patterns of argument, which we called signatures. Hmm. So the add function will accept either a plain old number, or it will accept an instance of the class currency amount. So if I have $5 and I say add 5 it will just assume you mean $5. But oh, I, if I happen to have, would not like that. She wouldn't. No, you're right. <laughs> but nonetheless, it seems like a reasonable thing to do. If I, if I say, well, we'll see it in action in a moment. But if I say, you know, create a new amount, if currency is dollars, and start with five, and then I say add five, there is an implicit, well, okay, you're adding five more dollars, right? Okay. You can you can imagine it as five more. Yeah. And then it, then it won't break your head. But if you happen to have another variable lying around that was also in dollars, why not just pass it in that other instance and have it behave sensibly? Right. So I'm saying that my, my add function will accept a number or an instance of monetary amount if and only if they're in the same currency as each other. Okay. So my add function basically has to decide what to do depending on the type of the argument.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: So if amount, instance of monetary amount, and inside that if statement goes what we do for the first signature, else what we do for the second signature.
0: Why are you calling so these signatures if, again? I remember the word, but I don't remember what it means. It just
1: means a different argument. So
0: a different. Flavor. the argument
1: can be a number, or the argument can be... An instance currency. of the class monetary amount. Okay. So the function take signature one, pass me one argument of type number. Signature two, pass me one argument of type monetary amount. Okay. Sometimes the signatures would have different numbers of arguments. So the signature might be pass me two strings or one boolean. Hmm. Okay. But you're basically, you need to have an if statement to tell apart which of the two possible ways of telling me something you've told me. Okay. And then we call that signatures. I don't think it's a clear name, but hey,
0: okay, that's that's what we call it. I'm calling them flavors. Ooh,
1: <laughs> that's better. I prefer. I I wish you had invented programming, Alison. That's better.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Um. So, if amount instance of monetary amount, then we say, ah, oh, oh, you give me one of these, have you? If this dot currency not exactly equal to amount.currency, throw new range error, the amount to be added must be in the same currency as the amount.
0: Oh, okay. So, so assuming I, I that you euro and you were playing with dollars.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go uh, bleh, because mm-hmm. I haven't implemented any sort of conversion, right? Okay. If I were writing a super duper class, I could build in conversion rates and then I could detect the difference in currency <laughs> and apply the appropriate conversion but, but we know didn't. how complicated that gets because we right. did an entire six-week assignment on it. Right. So anyway, assuming that error isn't thrown, it's very straightforward. This dot amount plus equals amount dot amount. Which I don't think you'll like, but nope.
0: <laughs> But I'm gonna let it go.
1: <laughs> Else, well, it wasn't an instance of monetary amount. Okay, then we'll try to coerce it into being a double. So currency.coerce amount amount. And we say this that amount plus equals the coercion.
0: Now, notice you wrote a comment here that says could throw error. What does that could. mean?
1: So every time I call a function I've written, which I know throws errors, I like to put a comment there to tell myself that this could result in an error being thrown. It's just a note to self that I am proactively mentally aware that coercing an amount could result in it being impossible to coerce, right?
0: In which case you, it might mess up this whole add function.
1: Well, it wouldn't. It would throw an error because I do good error handling.
0: I know, but, but it means that... Then why are you telling yourself it could throw an error if you already know it's going to throw an error?
1: I'm telling myself so that I know to put in the comment at the top of the add function that it throws errors. Okay. Because the error will ripple all the way through. So my add function now implicitly throws errors. There's no... Okay, there is a Errors all the way down. It's errors all the way down. Okay. It's I I just like I don't like errors coming out of nowhere. I, so I like to is... warn myself that they could you know okay there be dragons.
0: It, so it would be helpful in in when you got the error knowing where to look.
1: It would, but you hopefully you have a console at your disposal. In which case, hopefully you can see the line numbers okay. in the stack trace. Okay, but that's not always true. No, it isn't. Thank you. It isn't. Yes, in theory, <laughs> theory you should always get it down to a line number. In reality, that sometimes doesn't happen for many reasons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the very, very last thing that this add function does, because if if I say to you, Alison, add five onto that, you actually don't have to return anything to me, do you? That oh. that statement kind of takes care of itself. But functions have return values, so maybe I could do something cool. A very, 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 very common technique in modern JavaScript is if you have nothing else to return, return a reference to yourself, which in JavaScript speak means return this. And that is what allows the wonderful concept of function chaining where you can call two functions on the one object, one after the other. jQuery does this for every moment it can, right? So you can say, dollar p dot class something dot click something else. Oh
0: okay. Okay, right, right.
1: And the only reason that works is because the return statement just passes the same object through all the way. So hence I figured there's nothing else for this add function to return, so why not return this? Okay. So now let's see this in action. Oof, I hate that word. So firing up our friendly console again. const euro becomes equal to new currency name euro denomination new denomination euro symbol comma euro now as it happens my default secondary denomination in my constructor is cent and the euro like the dollar has a subdenomination of cent so i don't have to bother telling it about cent const bart money becomes equal to new monetary amount 4 comma euro So I can now console.log bartmoney.alstring, and I get four euro. Okay. I can say bartmoney.add2. Console.log bartmoney.alstring, I now have six euro. Go me.
0: (laughs) You're making money right here.
1: Yeah. Const donation becomes equal to new monetary amount 10, euro. Bartmoney.add donation. Console.log. Bart money that has string 16.
0: You're doing subliminal advertising for the donate button right now, aren't you?
1: (laughs) Yes. Is it working? Uh. So as you can see, I was able to call the add function with a number or with another monetary amount. And because they were both in euro, it worked fine. If I had tried to add some dollars in there, it would not have worked fine. I would have thrown my error.
0: Gotcha. By the way, I hope and somebody, the final... after listening to my closing line on the show, I always say to uh, to use your donate button. I hope somebody donates 10 euro.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me know that's a know if it wonderful amount. <laughs> Yeah. I should have picked a really weird number and then we'd really know it worked, right? Uh, yeah. 13.5 5 or oh something. Gosh. 42. That's a very big number, though. Yeah. I do love the number 42 because I'm a Douglas Adams fan, but it's a big number. <laughs> So as a final example, let's look at some function chaining. So let's make another currency, and this time let's make it an imaginary one just for the fun of it. So uh, const monopoly becomes equal to new currency. Name a monopoly money. denomination order zero. Have you ever noticed that your monopoly dollars don't have any cent? Oh. Yeah, your banker, the lowest note you have is a $1.
0: Okay.
1: Imaginary code untrue. Mm-hmm because Monopoly money, as we've all found out, to our peril is useless in a shop. <laughs> Const Allison money becomes equal to 200 Monopoly money dollars. Sorry, Allison. <laughs> Allison, console.log Allison money that string is 200. Console.log Allison moneyadd string.
0: Oh, there you go. You so There's them. our
1: function chaining.
0: You strung it into a string.
1: (laughs) I strung it into a string, and you now have 300 useless Monopoly dollars.
0: Yay. By the way, in the US, they're talking about getting rid of the penny because it costs a lot of money.
1: Uh, There are some countries in Europe where the smallest denomination is five cent. Mm. Uh, Because, yeah, isn't it?
0: I think they're trying to get rid of the dollar bill, too. That's the one that really bothers me. I don't want something that weighs more. Uh,
1: There's a lot to be. I mean, we have two euro coins our smallest mm. bill is €5. Euro.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, actually, it doesn't matter because nobody carries money anymore. So it's going to... I was just going to say, <laughs> I've
1: had €40 euro in my pocket for the, since March.
0: <laughs> well, I've, that's another problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just my Apple Watch is doing all the work these days. Yeah. Tap, tap, tap. Exactly. Anyway. All right. Well, that's, I think I follow this. Good. So at this stage of play, we have just... Really, the only thing new today is that an instance data attribute can have as its value an instance of a different class. And by doing that, we have a relationship, and we've given that relationship the name Hazza. Yeah. And the second type of relationship that can exist between classes is the so-called ISA and the isa is extremely powerful and will introduce us to the last new piece of javascript syntax we're going to come across in our tour of javascript and that keyword is extends and that keyword gives us the implementation of the concept of inheritance which unfortunately has nothing to do with money it's a so kind if of we're if we're
0: going to finish this thought without everything derailing from allison can we do that next time and then wait another couple of weeks for the homework
1: yes i think we have no choice really because yeah. oh, I, by making this into a two-parter we've just pushed everything over by two weeks
0: yeah and that's going to help me out a lot <laughs>
1: you have all this like shiny holidays to go on and stuff and yeah, you have know, fun with family and things
0: yeah i'm gonna gonna go sit in a different house and not go see people <laughs>
1: With so, people you don't normally see. Yeah, every so you, day, Yeah, you're Going into a new bubble. Right, right.
0: All right. Well this yeah, is well, have uh, one. this I'm glad I read this one ahead of time because this one took me two read throughs. I am uh I'm gonna need some some experimentation with actually using this stuff for, before I think it's really uh you know, gonna need a homework challenge hopefully that implements some of this so we have to use it.
1: Well I was gonna say you said you hadn't started your homework yet. Correct? I do believe you now have a challenge where you can use this stuff. Okay. Because whatever the the homework is, I'm pretty sure it involves a concept or a thing.
0: (laughs) And this applies to all of that?
1: It applies to pretty much any challenge I ever set, right? Okay. Which means that you have a class, if not classes. And if you have classes, then you have hazard relationships, almost certainly.
0: Hmm. Okay. We'll see.
1: <laughs> Think about it in English, and if you end up with multiple ideas, then you probably have multiple classes.
0: Oh, I sure i may have multiple classes whether I can figure out what to how to make a haza or not. We'll
1: but don't see. try to make a haza, just try to represent the ideas, and what will almost certainly happen is a haza will just fall out. So you say. Without thinking about it. Don't don't stress about hazas. They just happen. Okay. We just give them a name because they happen so much. You don't have to, you don't have to think about them. Okay. Isas are deliberate. They take a bit more thinking about it, But has just happen? You just, whoops. Oh, look, there we go. That class is related to the other one now. I've just given it that value. Whoops. Okay, we'll see. Indeed. Anyway, until then, the most important thing is lots and lots of happy computing.
0: If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet, or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com.